Well, if you'd like to take your Bible or device and turn, please, to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. It's page 839 if you are using the church Bible. Verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it didn't have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. And here he starts to talk about the people as sown, interestingly. These are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Well, let's pray together. Today, if you hear God's voice, 
Do not harden your hearts. Father, please make our hearts good soil to receive your word even now. For Jesus' sake, amen. So you're talking to someone and you suddenly realize they're not listening to you. Or you're listening to someone and you suddenly realize you haven't taken in a single word they said and you just hope they don't ask you a question. Listening matters. We all know that. And that if we don't listen, it damages relationships. And of course, we know as Christians, if Christians we are, and even if we're not yet Christians, we can think this way, that the most important relationship in the world is our relationship with the God who made us and who's able to save us. The God who's promised to save the world by establishing his eternal kingdom ruled by his king, the Messiah. And a Christian is someone who believes that Jesus is that Messiah, God's king. And as we get to the end of chapter 3 in Mark, we realize that there's this group on the inside gathered around Jesus, his new family, who do the will of God. But on the outside is, well, a group of people that strangely, in terms of his family, you'd think would know him best. And yet, they thought he was out of his mind. Why? And the people in Jesus' day who knew the Scriptures best, the scribes and the Pharisees, they reject Jesus and go so far as to claim that he was possessed by the devil. Why? Well, that's where Mark 3 left us. And in Mark 4, we begin to get an answer to these questions. Why is it this way with these insiders and these outsiders and this rejection? And here we have another tasty Markan sandwich. If you were with us last time, you know Mark loves a sandwich. You have the parable of the soils, verses 1 to 9. Top layer, if you like. Inside, the filling, uh, verses 10 to 12. And then the explanation, the other bit of the sandwich. Which tells us that the middle bit, verses 10 to 12, the filling of the sandwich, is really important to understand what's going on here. And what we see in verses 10 to 12, I don't know if you picked it up as we were reading it, is, is the shocking purpose of parables, verses 10 to 12. It really is shocking when you think about it and read what is written and what Jesus says here. Because he's saying that parables can be spoken as an act of judgment to people who are refusing to listen. Now, one of the challenges in translation from the Greek original into our, our English language or any language is the range of meaning of some words. And the word parable has a, has a wide range of meaning. So if you look back to chapter 3, verse 23, Jesus called them to him. These are the scribes who were opposing him and saying he was possessed by the devil. And he said to them, in parables. And then you get a series of what I think we would probably call illustrations. But the term parable is used. The word can also mean, if you like, a riddle, something that doesn't make sense. And you think, what does that mean? Someone has to explain the riddle to me to get it. Now, here is a common myth. I wonder if you um, hold to this. Maybe you do. Um, that Jesus always told parables 
to help people understand his teaching through storytelling. And if only people, if only preachers like me, say, up the front here, would just tell better stories, then we'd understand things better. Well, we all like a good story, and I'm not saying you can't or shouldn't tell a story. But the problem is that with that understanding of what a, what a parable is, it's just trying to make things clearer through telling a story, no one seems to have told Jesus that that was their only purpose. So when you read verse 10, there they are alone with Jesus and the 12, the close circle around Jesus. They ask him about the parables. And Jesus said to them, verse 11, to you, the insiders, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Why? In order that, and the translation say that, it, it, it's even stronger than that. It's, it's a purpose word, in order that, you may, they may indeed see but not perceive. They may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And you think, what is going on here? It's like you've gone to the opticians. You know, you're, you're, you're not quite seeing as well as you used to. You think, oh, I'm going to have to go to the opticians. And you go to the opticians, and they sit you down, and they put one of those sort of empty glass, you know, those sort of things that sit on your nose, and then they're going to slot the lenses in to see which works best to, correct, to help your vision. Um, and you know they've got the blank one that blanks out the eye that you're not looking through. Um, so they put the blank one in, and then you don't notice this, but they picked up another blank one, and they slipped that into the other eye. So and they say, how, can you, you know, how is it now? Can you see any better? So I can't see a thing. You just put two of those blocking ones in the slots. This is crazy, you think. Why would you do that to me? It seems that that's what Jesus says parables are doing. Lest they turn and be forgiven. End of verse 12. And then you think, hang on a minute. I thought, I thought Jesus was not only a very clear communicator, but was also a wonderfully kind and merciful person who wanted everyone to see and understand and repent and believe what is going on here. Who are these people on the outside that Jesus is blocking the vision of, if you like? Well, think about it. What happened in chapter 3? It's, it's those who know him best, who have seen close, at close hand the purity and kindness of his private life behind closed doors, when his guard is down, so to speak, and yet claim he's mad out of his mind. It is people who know the Scriptures better than anyone else and know that he fits, actually, the identical model of a Messiah, of the Messiah. People who have observed his compassion and power to do good, and yet you claim he's evil and in league with the devil, indeed possessed by the devil. And it's as if Jesus is saying, okay, if you won't listen to me, I won't talk to you, at least not in ways that you can understand. And he quotes Jesus in verse 12 from Isaiah. 
So it would help us to look there, wouldn't it? If you turn back, it's, if you're using the church Bibles, it's page 566, the beginning of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, so who preached 700 years or so before Christ. And what is the start of Isaiah's message through decades of preaching? Here it is, verse 2 of Isaiah 1. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Listen, in other words. What does God say? Children have I reared and brought up. I brought up children, but they have rebelled against me. And what is the great sign of rebellion of children? Well, one of the great signs is they won't listen to you. You see it very early on in your children, don't you, if you're given children? Verse 10 of Isaiah 1. This is the word of the prophet. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. And he uses, it's quite rude actually, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's actually talking to Jerusalem. But he's talking to them as if they were Sodom and Gomorrah who deserve judgment, because they do. Hear the word of the Lord. Verse 10, give ear to the teaching of our God. Give ear. Listen, listen, listen. But what are the people like? Are they listening? No, look at chapter 5, verse 20. This is what Isaiah says about the people. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. In other words, people who completely turn upside down moral categories and yet claim to be God's people. End of verse 24 of chapter 5 in Isaiah, they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. They know what God is saying, but they're going to take no notice, thank you very much. Well, it's into that context that Isaiah is commissioned as a preacher, and my goodness me, what a commission he was given. Verse, verse 9 of, of Isaiah 6. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but don't perceive. Here's your job, Isaiah. Make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy, blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And that's exactly what Jesus quotes in Mark 4. That is what is going on, he says, as I tell you these parables. As I tell you a story about a farmer who goes out to sow seed. What is that talking about? Has Jesus decided to become a lecturer in an agricultural college? To give tips for farmers? What is going on? No. What is going on is an act of judgment on a world that, ref on, on a people rather, who refuse to listen to God's word. It's an act of judgment. So parables can be more like a door than a window. As I say, the popular view is that they're like a window, and you look through the window and you see better, or that lets light in and you see better. But no, it's more like a, they can be more like a door than a window. They, they shut people out rather than help them see better. It's quite shocking, isn't it, when you think about it? But it's not the whole story. Go back to Mark 4. 
Remember verse 10, when Jesus was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. They just heard this farming weekly update, thought, don't quite get this. Well, I don't really get it at all. What is Jesus talking about? Why is he talking about the seed and these different soils? They ask him about their parables. And he says in verse 11, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. I have told you a secret. Now you know. It's that kind of secret. But for those outside, everything is in parables. But for you on the inside, I'm telling you the secret. And what Mark is making clear here is that yes, there is a group on the outside, and Jesus is happy to tell a parable which actually doesn't make things clearer. It's utterly, in a sense, obscure. But it's an act of judgment on them. Okay, you won't listen to me. I will therefore speak in a way that doesn't help you at all. Just hardens your heart, seals you, confirms you in your unbelief. But there is another way. Why don't you ask about the parables? Because Jesus says to those who ask, it will be given. Well, what is the secret then of the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is the whole reason Jesus came. Remember back in chapter 1, verse, verse 14, 15, 16, John is arrested, Jesus comes and says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom has come. Repent and believe in this great news. It's to do with the king coming as Mark will gradually unfold through this gospel. The king is key to the kingdom. The king has come, so the kingdom has come. If you want to be part of God's future kingdom, you need to be a subject of the king. You need to, well, how do you become a subject of a king? Well, you have to accept their authority. How do you accept their authority? Well, you have to be subject to their laws and listen to what they say. So listening is vital. And in verse 13, when Jesus says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? It's as if this parable, the parable of the sower and its explanation is the key to understanding all parables. So yes, parables may be a door rather than a window, but we can ask God to open the door. And what happens when we do? Well, our second main point is this, the striking point of this parable in verses 14 to 20. If you want to know the secret of the kingdom of God, the key, the secret, if you like, is careful listening to God's word. And part of that careful listening as we approach a text like this is to actually see what is there. So as you read through 4, 1 to 20, you, you realize that here are the clues, the verbal clues. Verse 3, listen. That's how Jesus begins, listen. Verse 9, Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. She who has ears to hear, let her hear. Verse 14, the sower sows what? It's not seed. That's a metaphor. No, the sower sees the word. And the explanation, verse 15, where the word is sown, when they hear the word. Verse 16, when they 
hear the word. Verse 18, they hear the word. Verse 20, they hear the word. Not surprising, in verse 24 then, Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear. It's really very simple. Listening matters. We need to be very careful about how we're listening. Now, God is here among us now. Do you believe that? We have his word open in front of us. Are we listening? God is speaking. Well, there are three dangers when God is speaking that are dangers of not listening. It's what happens when the seed of the word is sown, but we're not receiving it. Three kinds of soil, three kinds of persons, if you like, that, that we do not want to be, that I must encourage you never to be. Number one, verse 14, just not listening. We've thought about it more than once this, uh, during our time together. You know, that, that, that time when, when someone says to us, you haven't been listening to a single word I've been saying, have you? I mean, <laughs> I'm afraid I haven't. No, sorry, forgive me. Um, but this is much more serious. This is a spiritual battle going on. This is Satan swooping like a bird, snatching the seed off the hardened path of our minds before we've listened to a word of what God is saying to us. I don't know if you've been on one of those footpaths in the countryside where, where the footpath goes around the edge of a field that's been plowed and sown. And, and you can see actually on the path, which is hardened, uh, the seed just lying there on the surface of the path because it can't penetrate because the path is trodden down, it's hardened earth. And then sometimes between that and say the hedge, you can see some very rough ground, some rocks and debris. And again, there's, there's some seed that has sprouted up, but it's not going to do well. But we're talking here first about the seed on the path. And it's talking about those who just are not listening. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're just not listening to what I'm saying. Well, why should you? Why should you listen to me? Well, nothing to do with me. It's because I'm trying to communicate to you God's word. And what God is saying, not what John Samuel is saying, that doesn't matter at all. What God is saying, that matters supremely and eternally. Maybe you're someone who just doesn't take in God's word. Anything that God has ever said to you. Well, let me warn you that that is a very dangerous position to be in. And there's a sense in which being here makes it even more dangerous because you can't say to God on the last day, well, of course, I never had a chance. I never heard the word of God. Well, you did. So the parable becomes something that closes the door if you're not careful. Second danger, verses 16 and 17, to be tripped up by trouble and persecution. Here is someone who hears the message of Jesus, God's King, come to bring in the kingdom that the world is longing for, this broken world. And when they understand it, they immediately respond with joy and say, this is wonderful. This is, why didn't someone tell me this earlier? And in their initial enthusiasm, who knows if they're young, they'll join the youth group or they'll start coming to everything in church. And then comes the day when they realize there is a price to pay for following Jesus, for nailing your colors to Jesus' mask. 
maybe they discover that at school or at work, you're mocked for being a Christian. Well, you say Jesus is the only way. That is so arrogant. Oh, yes, Paul, he was a woman hater. Oh, and homophobic. And so you get all these slurs thrown at you. You think, oh, not so sure I want to be a Christian anymore. I just want to be popular. I want people to like me. I want to be in the in crowd. Very easy to be scandalized, to be tripped up when trouble and persecution arises, which is why it's important to explain to people that to follow Jesus is to take up your cross, to be willing to die for him. That's how discipleship and following him begin. It's not an add-on, it's part of the deal. Tripped up by trouble and persecution? Well, if you're new to these things or maybe considering following Jesus, let me just warn you that there is a price to pay, but it's worth paying. And one day when we see the Lord Jesus in his glory, when he returns or if we're taken to him before then, and we stand in his presence or maybe fall flat on our face in his presence, but have a sense of his wonder and majesty, none of us will be saying then, oh, it wasn't worth it. Then we'll be saying, ah, oh, nothing could make it more worth it. Everything, every small price I paid was more than worth it tripped up by trouble and persecution. Then the, the third one is to be throttled by thorns, verses 18 and 19. The danger when we're not really listening as we should. And Jesus refers to three kinds of throttling by thorns. Um, do you see there in verse, verse 19, the cares of the world, weighed down by worries, where fear displaces faith. Now, I don't know, would you call yourself a worrier? Are you a worrier? Well, some people are constant worriers, it seems, temperamentally. But I think all of us are occasional worriers, aren't we, at the very least? I don't think there's anyone who'd stick up their hands and say, oh, I never worry about anything. Well, I was gonna say, no, I won't say any more about being comatose. Or <laughs> I think most of us are worried by something, some things. But... If you follow Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you need to learn to cast all your anxieties upon the Lord. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, isn't it? Cast your anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He really does. And so as a Christian, of course you worry about things. You're tempted to worry about things, but you know what to do with your worry and your anxiety. You know where to take it, where to throw it onto Jesus. And you know that he cares and you trust in his tender care for you through whatever it is that's worrying you. And you're not then weighed down because you're not carrying it anymore. You've, you've thrown it to him. Well, the other sort of throttling of, by a thorn is the, 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 the deceitfulness of riches, verse 19. Deceived by money. Money is a great liar. Money has a voice. It talks to us. It says things to us, doesn't it? And it says... Um, I can make you secure and happy. And we think, oh, yeah, oh, right, okay. We start to believe the lie. And then money goes on. I can make you secure and happy, but you need to get enough of me. 
to be secure and happy. And, and that means getting just a bit more than you have, in fact, quite a lot more than you have at the moment. So in order to be secure and happy, you need to have more of me. You, you, you know that's the truth, don't you? You see, no, no that's, that's a lie. That's not true. We don't have to look very far to see examples. I mean, think of the, those, those sort of stories about the number of people who won the lottery and what happens to them and the misery that they end up in because they won the lottery. And yet money would say, no, 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 no. You, if you win the lottery, you're going to be happy forever. But the truth is, it makes you miserable in most cases, if not in every case. Money says, look, don't, do be careful with your money. Don't, don't give away too much. Uh, don't take a big pay cut and go off and do some, some kind of Christian work or something. I wouldn't do that. That would be very unsafe. And God's word says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And all these things, material things that the world runs after, they'll be given to you as well. Don't worry, God will provide. Well, we can so easily be deceived by money or just distracted by desires. This is the third form of choking. It's a very vague phrase at one level, isn't it? Verse 19, and the desires for other things. Well, what is that talking about? Well, we're not told, but I guess it's things like in our culture, things like, well, you need to find yourself first. You need to really discover who you are. Look inside. And, and the Word of God says, no, you need to focus on Jesus and on others, not finding yourself. Oh, but you need to be true to your feelings and follow them. And the Bible says, no, you need to be true to your word. You need to be a man or a woman of your word, and you need, need to control your feelings. Self-control. Your desires say, look, I just want a quiet and a comfortable life. And the Word of God says, no, you need to seek to serve the Lord and others sacrificially. Throttled by thorns, tripped up by trouble and persecution, just not listening. Which is you? Is it, which is the danger that you face and that is your temptation. We've got to be careful that we don't end up as someone who in, in the end proves unfruitful and is shut out of God's kingdom, which would be avoided if we carefully listened to God's word and welcomed it. And here's the final point in verse 20. Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. And that word accept is, is a word sometimes translated welcomed or even embraced. The good soil are people who hear the word and embrace it, give it a big hug and welcome it into their life and into their... Well, it's, it's, it's not just a question of turning up at church every now and then. It's not just a question of a few minutes here and there reading your Bible. It, it's, a, it's a lifestyle, this. It's a bit like if you want a, a good friendship, and friendship is really important, isn't it? Or if you want a good marriage, and if you're married, I hope you want a good marriage. Well, what are the key to good friendships and good marriages? Well, one of the key things is just to learn to be a good listener, not just after you've had a good night's sleep, but all the time, however you're feeling. Be a good listener. And so it is with the follower of Jesus. Okay, you say, well, what is the fruit then? Last point in verse 20. What is this fruit? 
and bear fruit 30, 60, 100-fold. Well, we're not told, are we? But presumably, it entails the opposite of the dangers we've just been through. So it entails retaining God's Word in our minds, storing it up in our minds rather than forgetting everything we've ever read or heard of God's Word. So let me encourage you, if you're a Christian, memorize Scripture, meditate upon it. Presumably, this fruit entails persevering in the faith through the tough times and not being stumbled or tripped up when trouble and persecution comes. Presumably, it means not allowing worry to overwhelm us or money to mesmerize us or any other desire to overcome our desire to know and follow the Lord Jesus into his kingdom and his glory. For nothing else matters more than listening to God's Word. Nothing else other than God's Word has the power to save us and to bring us into God's glorious and eternal kingdom through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Listening matters. Let's pray.